as I did that, I came to that acceptance that this is something that is part of me and that I am ready. I am ready for it to be gone. And as soon as I reached that point, the fear was lifted. Welcome to episode 28 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Ruth. She used the donation basket button on our website. Thank you, Ruth, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps a few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Today we are going to talk about step six. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. What are all these defects of character? How do we become ready to remove them? Is it like studying for a test? Do we really have to be ready to have all of them removed? How do we know when we are ready to have God remove all these defects? Before we begin, we would like to state that though we and our guests may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of step six. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I will be your host today. Joining me is co-host Kelly. How are you today, Kelly? I'm great, Spencer. Thank you. And next to Kelly is special guest host Melissa. How are you doing, Melissa? I'm doing really well, thanks. All right. And we're glad you could join us today. I'm yeah. very happy to be here. <laughs> The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic, Step 6. Following a musical break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in the meetings we attend and in our lives. We will follow that with brief news about the podcast before closing with another musical break. We have a reading. This is from the book Paths to Recovery, which is an Al-Anon workbook for the steps. Uh, Page 67, it says, I find myself at Step 6. I've been here before, and I'm sure I'll be here again. This time... Step six is about the six P's for me. Perspective, pain, prayer, patience, process, and payoff. Perspective. My second sponsor described defects of character as survival skills that no longer serve me. This definition helps me stop being so hard on myself. It helps me understand that for most of my life, these defects of character worked for my benefit. Since my higher power wants more than mere survival for me now, I can choose to let them go. Pain. When clinging to my defect or survival skill becomes more painful than my fear of letting go, I become entirely ready to have God remove that defect of character. Prayer. Step six says God removes all defects of character, not me. My part is to pray for openness and willingness. God chooses which defects he will remove. I just do the footwork. Patience. Since God is in charge, God gets to choose when and how fast he will remove my defects of character. Process. Becoming entirely ready involves a process for me, a grief process, where I walk through my denial, anger, bargaining, and depression. As I complete the grief process, I become ready to have God remove a defect or former survival skill. Payoff. When I struggle with a defect, my current sponsor asks, what's the payoff? In other words, since I'm having a hard time letting it go, what's still good about it? So, I'm Spencer, and let's uh, talk about step six. Kelly, what, what does it mean to you to become entirely ready? Oh, man, to become entirely ready. I was at a meeting on step six earlier this week, and the, 
the person doing the lead kind of touched on this idea of the words entirely and the words all in terms of all defects, that they sound really sort of all-encompassing and, and kind of permanent, like almost like you can't pass this step until you are entirely ready to have all these defects removed. And so the interesting part was that we had some discussion that even though there are those types of words that have a kind of finality to them, that it doesn't mean all of the defects have to go away at the same time or in the same moment. And that being entirely ready is separate from the removal of the defects. So for me, being entirely ready just means that I've come to a place of acceptance with my defects, that you know, I've taken the time through steps four and five to look at what they are, I've put them down on paper. I see them as something that's that's real, that's a part of my life, my my present life, and that I've come to kind of an understanding with them, that I've accepted them, and now it's about asking for help to get rid of them, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it. When I think about step six, I think a lot about um, accepting life on life's terms. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about becoming ready and thinking about my defects, initially when I first did the steps, you know, four and five, um, well, one, two, three, four, and five tend to be more action oriented. And so what I had trouble with with six was kind of sitting and praying and becoming ready. I like to become ready in kind of a tangible way. I'm not very good at just feeling like I can sit and pray and then be re- like be ready. So I I still do action things even if I'm not necessarily supposed to, I guess. So becoming ready for me had a lot to do with writing and, you know, figuring out what it was that I recognized in 4 and 5 and what I still struggled with and having that on paper and kind of keeping in mind what it was I needed to work on, but kind of going back to accepting life on life's terms, like it's also accepting that I'm not perfect, but I can ask my higher power for guidance and just kind of sit with it. And I also think that the other thing that came up for me about it is um, the slogan, how important is it? Because I think that some of my defects that I really wanted to hang on to, I have to come back to like, is it, is it more important to me to feel resentful or is it important for me to be at peace? And Mm. I always choose that it's important for me to be at peace. So I kind of get those reminders when I look at six. Mm. Yeah. I, I first did step six some years back when I was working through the steps the first time in the program. And at that point I didn't really understand what I needed to do to become entirely ready. Um, and, and even that, I mean, I remember that reading with the six P's and that was, that was very helpful in, in terms of sort of looking at, um, particularly for me, the, the pain phase there uh, and the payoff, you know, what's the pain, what's the payoff and what's the balance. And, and, and I remember saying that, you know, my higher power gives me many opportunities to become ready to uh, to have some certain defects removed by um, really sort of giving me experiences that highlight those defects. Let's let's put it that way. But it still felt very passive. It felt very much like, well, I sort of sit back and become ready, 
I didn't really understand what being ready was, I think, at that point. And, and, and I had this notion of, I just had to sort of say, well, I'm ready. It was not a very effective step for me, I think, in that sense. I did find benefits in that by working, you know, by going through step six, and, and I was working it with a small group, uh, what we call an AWOL group around here at least, where we were working the steps together. We were working it with the, this book, The Paths to Recovery, which at the end of each section has a set of questions to help you work through your understanding of the step. And I know I worked through those, those questions, and I think that did help me. Um, unfortunately, I don't have the book in front of me, so I don't remember exactly what the questions are. Oh, Melissa's pulling it out. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, hang on a moment. We're at, She's we're prepared, at folks. Pages. Yeah, yeah, you're I more like prepared it. than I am. That's good. Um, <laughs> I'm getting a little blasé about this thing. Prepare? What's prepare? You know, we'll just go do it. It's a pretty important <laughs> book. It is. <laughs> it is. Um, I carry it with me everywhere. No, that's not actually true. <laughs> right. You know, so th- there, was, there was a question, do I clearly Program understand policy. the concept of readiness? Well, you know, I don't think I really did. How do I, how do I know if I'm ready? What fears block me from being entirely ready? And I think that's something that um, was, was hard for me to talk about on certain things um, and still has been, you know, which ones would I prefer to hold on to? What advantages do I see? That's sort of exploring the payoff thing. And... Um, you know, so those helped. Those helped, and and clearly, I did have some defects removed. Um, I did find that 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 helped, but I don't think I really understood it at that time. And so, more recently, I was working through the steps again this this last year, and I found an entirely different understanding and power in step six. And my current understanding that is working that worked for me this year that that really um, brought me significant relief from from some defects was that to be entirely ready to have a defect remove, I need to be totally accepting that that defect is part of me today. And as long as I'm denying the truth of the, of the character defect, I'm not ready for it to be go, gone away. That, that's where I am right now. Being ready is, for me right now, being ready lies in acceptance of myself, um, which leads into the step seven, that word humility in step seven about accepting me for who I am and what I am right now so that I'm, I'm ready to move forward. I mean, how did you know you were ready when you, when you worked step six, Kelly? How did you know you were ready? <laughs> how did I know I was ready? Well, I think to some extent, some of the circumstances that I encounter where my behavior has a negative result, the pain that I experience from that interaction is part of what makes me ready. You know, when, when I'm using these tools, and, and sometimes people refer to, and I, I don't know if it was in the initial reading or not, but as character traits that no longer serve me, you know, so I have ways of reacting or interacting with people that used to be of benefit to me and no longer are. And now they're painful. Now they, they're causing me or other people harm. And so when I, I know that when I feel that way in interaction, that that means I'm okay with letting go of that defect, you know, that personality trait, because it's, it's not doing any good. And like you mentioned on the payoff, the, the payoff is no longer there. There's no longer a positive benefit for it. So, um, so I feel like 
in that sense, I know that I'm okay with losing that stuff. And something that, that sort of worked really well for me is that when I'm, when I'm working on getting rid of a defect and I feel ready for it to go, sometimes there's this sense of like emptiness or loss. Like, okay, I know I don't need this thing anymore. I don't, I'm not using it. But if I let go of it, then what? You know, then what happens? Mm-hmm. There's like this, I, 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 I'm feeling in my head like there's going to be this void. And so for me, what really helped um, in, in working through some conversations with my first sponsor was that if I could find a behavior that I did like, that I did approve of, or that did serve me, that I could make a conscious effort to do that instead of this thing that I wanted to be removed. And I noticed that the more, and I know I'm kind of getting a little bit ahead of myself in, in the steps here, but, but when I'm... When, I'm, when I feel like I've got that plan B, when I've got that backup, then I don't have to worry about losing plan A, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. It does. Melissa, how, how do you know when you're ready? I think it's easiest for me to pick like one of my defects to talk about because it's mm-hmm. a little bit um, abstract if you're just talking about them, you know. Totally agree. <laughs> it's totally kind of hard to like nail yeah. down. Yeah. But like I think the biggest one for me that I worked when I'm working, you know, I'm still on my first round of step work and I'm past six, but um, the biggest defective character that I have been working on uh, is control and letting go of outcomes that aren't that aren't in my control. And I think that I have a hard time becoming ready with that because I think that control, especially growing up and in relationships I've had um, with some of my qualifiers, it seemed to have served me very well because mm-hmm. I, I had a sense of security with control and I had a sense that, you know, I could like if I if I could make all of the rules, then none of them like nothing could really go wrong. <laughs> and that's really untrue. And now I know that. And I've been challenged kind of with control and letting that go and letting more patience into my life. I think that if I can recognize similar sort of to what Kelly was saying, like there's a plan B, like if I can recognize that if I do adopt patience and let go of control, situations pan out better. And I don't have like high, like I don't have this, I used to have all these plans and all these expectations laid out in my mind about how everything was going to go. It didn't allow me to one, see like spontaneity in my life and to like not, you know, um, everything was kind of in a box and now things are much more open and I'm able to live more freely and I don't have all these expectations of people and myself. Instead, I can just again, like accept life on life's terms and take things one day at a time and not, yeah, not box everything in. So I think that if you are in enough pain, then eventually you can try to let go of defects. Like if you're holding, if you have a death grip on them, it's going to be really hard for you. (laughs) You know, it was very hard for me to let them go. But if you're in enough pain and also if you've had enough success with allowing some other, you know, character asset in, that can be helpful. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I want a, a story too here. One of the one of the character defects that I had identified when I was doing the steps first time through, one that I still have a little bit of, but was is procrastination. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the particular aspect of procrastination that involved me being late for appointments, being late for meetings. 
the pain there is the feeling of disapproval that I get from the you know the people that I'm meeting with or the doctor's receptionist or whatever, and that may or may not be real, but I feel it. They're like, you're late. <laughs> you're late again. <laughs> so that's the pain. And so I had to think about, well, what is the payoff? What is the payoff? What is it that, that prompts me to be late? And I identified maybe more than one, but one of them was that I would not feel that if I got there early, I would feel that I had wasted some time, that time between when I got there and when it was actually supposed to start. So that kind of comes back, take that back another level, well, that means my time's more important than the other people's time, right? Um, there's another, I guess that's another character defect, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it certainly is an emotion and uh, a story I tell myself. But when I looked at that, okay, I'm wasting time. Well, so one of the things that you were talking about, new behaviors, I could, I could put in a new behavior that if I felt like I was wasting time by getting there early, I could maybe bring something with me that I could do during that, quote, wasted time so that I would feel like, no, I'm actually, I, have, I, I did not lose this time. I'm just using it in a different place or in a different way. And I think the combination of those two things, the recognition of my sort of self-superiority feeling and that I could do something to reduce this feeling of having wasted time helped to move me forward to be ready. And again, moving forward into step seven on that, I then had to start practicing new behavior. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I guess the other thing that went in there was, was this feeling of you know having to fill up the time before I was leaving to go to wherever I was going. And, and so I had to make a conscious effort to, like, no, I'm not going to start a new thing right now. I need to get in the car and drive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as much as I feel like, oh, yeah, I, it's only going to take a little bit of time. I'll just do this really quickly. And Kelly's laughing. Yeah. I, think, I think you're identifying with this, yeah. maybe, huh? Yes. And, and so then I, I was, you know, I was ready to, to make the change. So identified the pain, identified the payoff. And also, and I think it's not in the three Ps there, or the six Ps, I mean, I figured out a potential um, replacement for what, what was blocking me. You know, a different behavior that would help me move through the block. How important is it to you? How much trust do you need to have in your higher power to really move through step six? Ellie? I heard somebody say the other day, that step six kind of ties you back to step three, two, one, all three, <laughs> four. <laughs> anyway, seven. T- ties you back to the beginning. <laughs> Maybe you guys can can help me place it once I get my thought out there. But they they said that step six is is a way of resurrendering. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, okay. you know, in in the first three steps you're kind of letting go of that control that you talked right. about, Melissa. You're, you're coming up with this idea of your higher power, trying to figure out what it is and how to trust it. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of those action steps in there. You're writing down your inventory, and then you're talking to somebody about all that stuff. And so then this is kind of a regrouping. So then you're re-surrendering. You're, you're returning to your higher power, coming back around. So 
to me, along that line of thinking, I mean, it's, it's imperative. It's crucial for me. You know, we talk about the idea of the removal of defects, that if it were something that we could do on our own, we, we would have probably done it already. And so if I'm just trying to do this without help, if I'm trying to do it all by myself, I'm going to end up in the same place I've been for the last, you know, 30-odd years. <laughs> so, so I have to ask for help. I have to include somebody else. And also knowing that none of you guys can make these changes for me, that pretty much leaves my higher power, you know, standing alone as, as the one capable of helping me here. So I guess from my perspective... It's necessary. Got, I've got to be in touch with my higher power. And if I'm not, I feel like it's a lot more difficult for me to be okay with the results. So if I'm, if I'm trying to get rid of my control or if I'm trying to get rid of my lack of patience and I'm not leaning on my higher power to come through for me on that, then... I can't really be okay if it doesn't happen in my timeline either. Yeah. I think that for me, I, if I don't let my higher power in on what's happening in my life, I, I revert back to a lot of black and white thinking and a lot of thinking like things have to go a certain way. And it again ties back to control, but like I really, um, like recently, I can give you an example. I had to sublet my apartment and I felt like I had, I did everything I needed to do, I thought, to put somebody in place to have that happen. And what I really had to let go of was fear that it wouldn't get subletted and I would have to pay double rent. And like, you know, I thought that my life would be completely over if that happened, which is not true. And so I get caught up in this, like, um, I like the phrase dwelling in the wreckage of the future. I get Mm -hmm. really caught up in dwelling in what I make up in my head, like the worst case scenario. And if I do let my higher power in more then I no longer revert back to thinking that that's what's going to happen. Instead, I am able to kind of switch my mind kind of like a light switch and say like, you know, somebody will come into my life for this example and help me with this. And it's, it's not the way that I wanted it to be. I think in my head, I wanted someone to immediately like contact me via email, see my apartment and take it over. But it took some time and it took a couple weeks of me having to like turn things over and let it go and really accept that I, I did what I needed to do. I, everything that was in my control, I did and the rest I have to turn over. And so I think that, yeah, without, without my higher powers help, yeah, I would be really lost. And I also wanted to say that I think that before I moved, not actually that recently, almost a year ago now. So I used to be, uh, in this recovery community and now I'm in a different one, but I, I think that I used to use, um, meetings a lot as like the only, like I used to kind of use meetings as the only way that I would have recovery in my life. And I really, when I moved, had a hard time because I didn't have the same community. So I really had to rely a lot more on turning things over and reaching out to people and putting myself out there. And so I think that's another thing where if you're, if you really are, like there are situations where you are, you know, it's just you and your higher power and you kind of have to step up and, you know, come up with ways to let them in. So as you as you two were talking, I was thinking. I think one of the one of the things that I had difficulty with this step when I when I was doing it first time through was 
not not having a strong concept of and not having strong trust in my higher power. You know, I had I had evidence already of God working in my life, of God doing for me things that I could not do for myself. But I was at a meeting recently that was talking about uh, step six and seven. And um, this was a meeting that had uh, what we call an ask it basket where people would put questions in a basket and then the person leading the meeting would pull questions out and ask them and then anybody in the room could address the question. And the first question out of the basket was, if I'm an atheist, who removes my defects of character? Which sparked a really lively discussion, as you might imagine. <laughs> this was actually an open AA meeting, so it, it sparked a livelier discussion than I think we would have had in an al <laughs> meeting where people would have been afraid of stepping on each other's feelings. And, you know, really, that's still where I was 10 years ago. I had I had accepted that there was a power greater than me. I had accepted that it could help me restore me to sanity, and I had made a decision by coming to meetings and listening and following what I heard in the meetings to turn at least part of my will in my life over to the care of that higher power. It was a lot harder for me to see how that concept of higher power was going to remove my defects of character. I didn't have the trust because it hadn't really happened. And, you know, and so over the years, I, I had had it happen. And so when I came back to, around to it this year it was a lot easier and I had more trust. I had more trust and, and I, and I continued to get more evidence. And, and this year I was struggling. I was really struggling with uh, a fear that, that has been deep seated in me for probably most of my life. And it, it really had flared up more recently. And it, it's a fear about financial insecurity. And as we're putting two children through college and we still had some debts resulting from, medical expenses and, and so on in previous years, money was, was, is, was and is, is tight. And my reaction to that was to basically stick my head in the sand, to not look at the bank balance, just assume it was going to be okay. And then when it wasn't okay, I would sort of freak out a little bit and fix it. And, you know, the ironic thing was that once I knew it was not okay and I, and I went to do something to, you know, move some money from savings or whatever whatever it was we had to do that month i was okay but the 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 fear that maybe maybe this bad thing would happen was huge um and this fear was so big that it prevented me from talking about it it prevented me from reaching out and trying to get help and since i find that my higher power most often speaks to me through people in the program through other people not being able to ask for help meant that I couldn't, you know, I couldn't fifth step it. Mm. I couldn't share it with, with God, myself, and another human being. I mean, I had enough trouble sharing it with myself. I was, you know, tried to deny it as much as I could. And, and so I was not getting any relief. I was certainly not ready for it to be removed because I was afraid of what, was, what I was going to have to go through as it was being removed. Um, you know, I had the fear of the fear. And, and I was stuck. I was absolutely stuck. Well, I was working the steps, again, with a, a, an AWOL group, and we came to, we were working step five. I had not brought this up in my step four, because I couldn't talk about it. And one of the questions on step five says something like, is there something that you 
have not been able to share with anybody. Can you share it now? And I knew that was my opportunity. I knew what I had to do. And so, you know, I was this group, three other people that I, we had built up a lot of trust over the course of a year and a half or so at that point. And I said to them, I said, I'm going to say something. And I really need to ask you not to respond to what I say. And then I laid it out. And it was hard, but I did it. And then I was able to share it in a small meeting. And then I was able to share it in a larger meeting. And as I did that, as I did that, I came to that acceptance that this is something that is part of me. And that I am ready. I am ready for it to be gone. And as soon as I reached that point, the fear was lifted. That I was able to do, I was able to go into the bank and deposit some money and actually look at the balance on the, on the receipt that I got. And that was something that I could not have done. I would have taken that receipt, I would have folded it in half without looking at it with the numbers on the inside and stuck it in my wallet and later I would have thrown it away. And now I still have some of the behaviors. You know, I go to the ATM, I don't get a receipt. And I know that that's my part. That's my part in step seven, that God has removed the fear. God has removed the thing in my, in my soul that was blocking me from dealing with this. And now my part is to practice the new behavior. And, you know, and it goes, it goes back and forth. I mean, the fear comes back, but it, not as badly, not, as, not in, a, in such a paralyzing way as it, was, as it was there before. I think that experience really, like, broke through a dam of, of not trusting. That by just saying, I am ready for this to be gone. And then it was gone. Hmm. Just saying that and, and asking my higher power for it to be gone. You know, if he can do that for me, <laughs> then, uh, yeah, I'm confident that, that whatever else I need will, will be granted in, you know, in God's time. And that, that's the hard part still. But, but I trust that it will be. I want to read an email we got from Ruth. Ruth sent us an email with several topics in it, and, and part of it was uh, about step six. And So Ruth says, When I first read the sixth step, I thought, of course I'm willing to get rid of the character shortcomings. The sooner the better. That's easy and done. No, I believe this was just a white place on my map. What you can't name, you can't see. I've learned that my inventory never seems to end, so there may always be things I might ask to be removed. But the biggest change in my understanding of the sixth step was when I heard that people may be afraid and reluctant to get their shortcoming removed because they are convinced that it is their character and they don't know who they are without them. But what will happen if the excrescence is removed, the essential and needful shows up? It's like washing the dirt of your face, removing out-fashioned clothes, and being simply yourself. That opened my eyes to some of my shortcomings that I haven't been aware before. I am now more willing to let them go. I am not so afraid anymore that I will be vanishing without them or being just a very boring person. But I'm looking forward to the person I will get to know. As I trust in my higher power, 
This one is even more beautiful and lovable. For example, when I do not gain attention by making very smart but sarcastic jokes anymore, I may miss out some laughter, but get in contact with people who had avoided me due to that before. It is not a resignation, but like a welcomed adventure, exploring the new me. And that, that's really beautiful, Ruth. That is, Kelly, you have some thoughts on what Ruth had to say? Yeah, I really liked the part where she talked about people being convinced that certain traits are just part of them. It's just, you know, and, and you hear people say that, and I feel like Swetha has said that on the podcast before, like that she thought certain things about her were just who she was. That was just how she was made up. And, you know, I feel like it's, it's kind of a common thought process to have before you come to the program. You just sort of assume that this is who I am. This is, you know, this is my personality. It's just, you know, deal with it, basically. <laughs> because a lot of us come into the program not really realizing that we have choices, that we can change, that uh, we have opportunities to learn different behaviors that might serve us better or that might help us connect with people who are you know, better for us. So, I mean, I really really loved everything that she had to say. I I loved this idea of taking a positive spin on it, that, you know, it doesn't have to seem like this torturous, painful experience, but that she's looking at it as she's welcoming this adventure, you know, Mm -hmm. which... I don't I don't normally do well with change. And when you when you ask me to do something that you know is out of my comfort zone or isn't something that I normally do like like my my first always my first gut instinct is ugh. Like I'm never excited about it. And I might get there, you know, 30 seconds after the ugh, I might feel like okay, no, no, this is going to be good. This is going to be fun. You know, I'm going to like this, but so so I, I like that perspective on it, too, that she's able to look at it positively. And, and also being realistic about the fact that some of these changes might be a turnoff to people. Um, I know there are definitely people in my life that I used to be close to. And uh, once I started coming to the program, it's like we just don't, we just don't mesh as well anymore. You know, the, the, our interactions become farther and fewer between because I don't, maybe I don't take that same sarcastic tone that I used to, or, you know, we just, we see the world differently now. And, you know, it's almost like a glass half full, glass half empty, like putting those two people together and expecting them to have a joyous time can be a little tricky. So, so you, you know, then you start to migrate towards the people who can also see the positive in life and, uh, you might lose a couple people along the road, but you'll you'll gain some new ones too. So, I think for me, one thing that's interesting is I remember when I first came to meetings, they talked about how like no situation is too difficult to be bettered, no unhappiness too great to be lessened. When I came into the program, I was really angry and really upset and really <laughs> mad. And Kelly and Spencer are laughing because they knew me then um, <laughs> and how I would, you know, it'd come time to share and I would just kind of list off all of these resentments I had towards all kinds of people. And I, I just didn't really, I don't know, I was in a crisis mode at that point. But I also remember that people, that in the opening it says that you can know peace. 
And I didn't really know what peace was. I didn't know how to make that happen in my life. I didn't know, you know, how to really just be content with what is. And I think that by the grace of my higher power and this program, like, I like myself a lot more and my life is immensely more peaceful now that I can let go of let go of a lot of anger and let go of a lot of expectation. Um, cause I used to have expectations of everyone in my life. It's almost like I had a running tally of everything that everybody was supposed to do. And unfortunately I was disappointed a lot, like, you know, cause people didn't show up for me. And it's so funny because the internal, um, the things that you tell yourself, like the stories that you tell yourself are often the stories I tell myself are not often true. And I didn't know that I wasn't letting people, I had already made a decision about how I wanted somebody else's behavior to be, but I wasn't letting them in on the fact that I had that expectation. <laughs> so then when they let me down, there was no way for them like to apologize because they didn't even know what they were supposed to be doing in the first place. And so yeah. they didn't even know they'd let you down. They right? didn't even know they let me down, but then they, then I would have a resentment towards them because they let me, it was just a vicious cycle. Um, yeah. but yeah. they couldn't read your mind. They couldn't That's read crazy. my mind. I know. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I really wanted them to be able to, um, and expect them too also but now it's interesting because I uh, some of the people I moved and people knew me kind of pre-program and post-program and I've gotten a lot of interesting feedback about how they think that I'm a lot calmer and that I have <laughs> that I'm just like I don't know if it's more easygoing or if it's just more like I don't let things bother me like I used to be I was in charge of a of a fundraising thing in my undergraduate career and I used to be like just like the boss. Like I would get really angry at people and order people around and tell them what to do and then get really like vicious. And people, I found out people were really scared of me. And it's really kind of funny now because I, I mean, I don't think, I don't know if I'm a scary person. I don't think so anymore, but I don't have this again, like this anger and this expectation and all this stuff coming through anymore. I let people be who they're going to be and I figure out who I'm going to be and then we're cool. Like, <laughs> like it's fine. Like, you know, it, it's, uh, it's okay now. And, you know, there's still people in my life that operate in that kind of like that kind of mentality where like either the, the world's out to get them and they just have to, they have to continue to react all the time to what's happening. And now I don't, I don't have that sort of knee jerk reaction to have to fix situations anymore. I mean, I have enough, enough stuff to work on myself without bringing in everybody else's stuff to fix. <laughs> um, so I like what Ruth had to say about like getting to know this new you. Cause I like my new self much, much more than I, I'm a lot more, I'm a lot happier. You know, I, uh, I sleep better. I, you know, I interact with the world better. Um, and I have a lot more acceptance. So, you know, and I think that's, that's something if you're, you're new in the program maybe you're you're not anywhere near step six and and you're looking forward and saying wow what's that going to do to have gone through and to come out and say wow you know yeah i'm a new person and i really like the new person i am listen up guys it can be better (laughs) keep coming back (laughs) yeah keep coming so so if i can say melissa when you were early in the program and you were just you know dumping your shit out and (laughs) Um, emotionally vomiting. Yeah, yeah right. that the emotional listen. vomit, as Sunshine <laughs> likes to say, yeah. Um, you know, my thought was, keep coming back. You know, because I had been there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, most of us had been there. Mm-hmm. And, and we know it gets better if you keep coming. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I wasn't looking at you and saying, man, she's really messed up. I right. was just, just looking at you and saying, keep coming. <laughs> you need to be here. Right. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. And and I have discovered in the last 
12 hours that I always have new things to be bringing to step six. My, uh, my adult son is making some decisions that I feel are ill-advised. <laughs> I could put it more strongly, but I won't. And I was kind of stressing about it last night. I woke up early this morning. It was running around in my head, you know, in a circle, that little squirrel cage, going around and around and around and around. And he needs to do this, and I need to tell him that. And, and of course, what I, what I know in the program is usually my first instinct is wrong. So I slept on it. I brought it here. And uh, Kelly and I actually spent some time talking about it where, you know, she reminded me about things like he has his own higher power. And as I was talking here, you know, thinking about, yeah, you know, my higher power has done good things for me. He does have his own higher power. And Melissa, you said, you know, the, the, I love that phrase, living in the wreckage of the future. Mm-hmm. And that's where I was. Mm-hmm. I was living in the wreckage of the future. Mm-hmm. And I can be ready to have that obsession uh, removed. I'm not sure I'm quite ready. But I know that I have a tool. I know that I have a tool that I can use to have the obsession removed. And then that will help me to be clearer about what is my part here, what is not my part, what I can do and what I can't do. And I hate to use the word should, but some of like what I should do and should not do, okay, because it really is not in my hula hoop. It is not in my control. So I keep coming back. Keep coming back. It's, it's, you know, you don't work the steps once mm. and you're done and your life is perfect. But every time I apply the steps to a problem, that problem gets better. My reaction to that problem gets better. Maybe the problem doesn't get better, but, but I find myself in a place where it's not pulling me down, it's not killing me, it's not paralyzing me. I learn how to live with it, live through it, deal with it. I don't really like that term, deal with it. It's sort of negative. And I really liked what Ruth had to say. You know, it's not resignation, but a welcomed adventure that I can move forward into a better place. A little tough to see where that is with with my son right now, but I know I'll get there. Before we close, I wanted to just... Because we use this term character defect... You look at that and you say, character defect, wow, that's, you know, I'm bad. I'm bad. I have these defects. And, and we have talked, I think this was in, in one of our Step 6 meetings where, where somebody talked about their, that, that character defects are, are things that are no longer of use. Yeah. How did somebody put it? They are things that block me from becoming the person I want to be. How do you think about defects of character, Melissa? Well, I think it was helpful for me, um, kind of going back a couple steps when I had to do um, my fourth step inventory and then my fifth step, where I admitted to God, to myself, and to my sponsor the exact nature of my wrongs. One thing that was helpful is that I also had this list of assets that went along with it, and so I think that it was helpful for me because I did I I do get caught up in sometimes like negative thinking patterns and thinking like, you know, I'm doing this wrong and this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. And I have all these, 
the, this list of things, but I also had another list that had all the like all the good things that I'm doing, and I think that that was that was helpful, so that I didn't feel like like I, I wouldn't know myself anymore if I didn't have whatever defect it was that I was trying to get rid of. So I think I was able to hold on to what I knew. And it was really, for me, it's kind of hopeful. I mean, I know it can seem really scary to have those things be removed, but it's it's hopeful for me that I don't have to function, like I don't have to try to function in a dysfunctional system anymore. That I don't have to be uh, a part of that. And it's challenging, I think, because I still have a lot of people in my life and a lot of qualifiers who don't have tools. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that that my sponsor said to me somewhat recently was that you should try to surround yourself, like the ratio of people that are in recovery to the ratio of people that aren't should somehow like be leveled out. Because if I don't, if I don't show up and I don't try to reach out to people and have recovery in my life, then it's like my old stuff will kind of come up. So it's an interesting balance to try to keep to keep myself sane when I'm around a lot of the defects that I'm trying to let go of, if that makes sense. Yeah. Something I think that's important for me to remember, too, about defects, both in myself and in other people, is, you know, like you said, Spencer, we, we tend to talk about them like it's a bad word, you know, like it's, like they're a really bad thing. and I'm defective. Right, exactly. It does have a really negative connotation. And I remember someone in a meeting once talking about character defects as coping skills. You know, these are things that we have learned through the family disease or traits that we have needed to use in order to survive certain situations. So it's not like, and and this is where the other people part comes in too, because it's not like me or my addict chooses to be controlling, act like a jerk, use, whatever. It's not a choice. These are just a set of skills that at at some point that was the best we could do with the information we had. And now we have more information because we've been going to meetings, reading the literature, we're talking to other people who have been through this step. And so now we're realizing, okay, maybe I don't need some of these things anymore. You know, they I can let them go and and I'm not a bad person for having them. It's it's just, you know, like I said, it we were doing the best that we we could at the time with the limited information we had. So, so don't feel bad about yourself if you have defects. (laughs) Everybody does. (laughs) We would not be human without them. And if we were perfect, we'd be boring. Or so I've been told. (laughs) Never having been perfect, I wouldn't know. (laughs) Uh, Any last thoughts? Um, I think that one thing I was just thinking is that, you know, again, with not, not getting down on yourself, like part of coming to the program is kind of like unpacking all of this stuff. And especially like for me, I'm an adult child of an alcoholic and I also have qualifiers um, from relationships I've been in. And so, you know, it's not the framework of like fault, I think is something tricky that you shouldn't, that I shouldn't get caught up in. Um, It's not, you know, you come, you come by the program really honestly and everyone finds the program when they need to. And, you know, everybody like again with the, like the survival like you you came with these set of tools and you're trying to you're trying to really try to pick up and use different ones and one of the most helpful phrases that I had when I first came was not to 
pick up the rope. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that means that, like, don't, as far as being reactionary, I used to be really, if a situation arose and I thought that I had to, I had to react right away and fix it. And I think that not picking up the rope is something that is one of the best tools I have and knowing, you know, what's mine and what's not mine. And it takes, it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of patience, but the best thing I could say is just to keep, to keep coming back and to seek out, seek out people that, you hear in meetings that have, if you want what they have, then, you know, keep them around you. So, yeah, I think I've heard this more in, in AA rooms than, than in Al-Anon, but stick with the winners. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Stick with the winners. Yeah. Yeah. Kelly, any last thoughts on step six? Yeah. Speaking of AA, I actually just wrote down an AA phrase here on my little notepad. Acceptance is the answer to all of my problems today. And I think that's really relative to step six. Before we started recording, Spencer and I were talking about the concept of uh, awareness, acceptance, action, and how steps four and five are the awareness piece, six and seven are the acceptance, and then you can move into action. So acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. And then I was also having a conversation with somebody last night about how the one thing that we never think to do in situations that a a sponsor always suggests is prayer. And I think that really ties into the, the sixth step too, because uh, you know, the higher, higher power piece is very integral in this step. And you know, when it comes to defects, I can't remove them. The only thing that I can do is, is pray and ask for help. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think I've said, and I'll just reiterate that, that for me, the key to step six is that acceptance. That when I accept who I am, I can then move forward. And if I don't accept who I am, I'm blocking my progress. All right. Well, after a short break, we'll be back with our lives in recovery, where we talk about the meetings we attend and what's happening in our lives. Our musical break is I Am Not My Hair by India Ari. And we see this as a, as a song about self-acceptance. It, there's a, a bit from the lyrics here I'm going to read out. I went on and did what I had to do because it was time to change my life. To become the woman I am inside, 97 dreadlocks all gone. I looked in the mirror for the first time and saw that, hey, I am not my hair. I am not the skin. I am not your expectations. No, no. So realizing who she really is, that she's not these pictures that people have put on her, that we are not our defects, that we are whole, and that step six is a way to start discovering who that whole is and who that whole really wants to be. Is that India? What happened to her hair? Little girl with the pressing curl. AJ, I got a Jerry curl. 13 and I got a relaxing. I was a source of so much laughter. At 15, when it all broke off. 18 and I went on natural. February 2002, I went on and did what I had to do. Because it was time to change my life. To become the woman that I am inside. 97 dreadlocks all gone. I looked in the mirror for the first time and saw that hey. I am not my head, I am not the skin, I am not your expectations, no, no, I am not my head, I am not the skin. 
In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. Kelly? Okay. So it's been kind of a crazy, chaotic week. I'm getting ready to go out of town for a week for a sales meeting. And then as soon as I get back, I'm going to start traveling. So I'm at the end of my resting period, so to speak. So there's a lot of preparation this week. But fortunately, I made it to several meetings, which um, kind of helped me stay sane and, and will give me some good balance going into the crazy week. But um, I went to the Wednesday night meeting. And the topic there was step six, which was really nice in preparation for the podcast. Um, I heard a lot of great things. And uh, I actually had to tell on myself after the meeting because there's been some controversy in the meeting about people being on their phones in the meeting and how it's distracting to some people. And I had just I had heard several things that were really good that I really liked. And so I was I was just kind of like repeating them over and over in my head so that I wouldn't forget them. And at some point, I just had to whip out my phone and like start put, writing them down in the notes section because they were just piling up, and then I couldn't remember them all, and then I couldn't pay attention, and so I, I broke the rules. I took my phone out during the meeting. So I hope I didn't offend anybody. I'm sorry, but I wasn't being rude. I just needed to remember all of your amazing thoughts. So, um, So that was great. And also the lead was given by someone who does not often share in the meeting, which was really nice. It's always great to hear from people who who you know have good recovery just based on their actions, but, but you don't hear from them very often. So that was really nice. And then I went to a meeting Friday night, and that was a daily reader, um, which was mostly about carrying the message appropriately, um, how some of us come to the program and we get all these amazing tools and then we want to shout it out to the world and drag everybody that we know and have ever met to a meeting because we know that it can benefit them and how that's not the best way to carry the message. And there is a much more spiritual approach, which was also interesting because my brain sort of people started sharing after I had read the reading and my brain had sort of just skipped over all the spirituality stuff. So I don't know what that says, but uh, apparently I need to pray more or something or be more spiritual. I don't know. But anyway, uh, it was a great week, and I'm looking forward to my flight tomorrow. I have a bunch of um, episodes of Recovered downloaded. Mark hosted some of the hour segments of the 12-hour podcast that he did. Was that just last weekend? It was. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that was right before our last recording. Yeah. So um, I have some of those queued up and ready to go, parts that I missed hearing live. Yeah, so I'm ready to go. How about you, Melissa? It's been a pretty good week. I traveled to Michigan from Chicago, where I live now. Yay. And Yay. I'm um, happy to be here. And I, um, I'm in school right now, so it was a, a pretty busy week. I'm wrapping up the end of... I don't know how specific I'm supposed to be. I'm in nursing school, so I'm wrapping up the end of a clinical <laughs> rotation. And so I'm excited about that. Uh, and I was able to kind of go off the floor and do some other experiences this week, so that was good. And I am here till tomorrow, so I'm really grateful to be able to be a part of the podcast. Um, something that did happen yesterday, though, there was a death in the family. My um, grandmother passed away. And yeah, it. Uh, I'm not close with her, but I will be coming back to Michigan um, for her funeral services 
next week. And it's been interesting because I, um, I am an adult child of an alcoholic and a lot of the dynamics that brought up a lot of my character defects may are kind of coming back to me. And I'm, uh, having some, I don't know if you'd say like issues, but I, I'm trying to figure out again, like how to take care of myself in this situation and not take care of others. And so it was my dad's mom that died and, you know, he has his own program and works, he does his own thing. And I was having a really hard time yesterday because I just felt really sad for him and I wanted to make his pain go away. And I wanted Mm -hmm. to figure out how I wanted to, you know, be the best daughter I could be. And I was reminded by somebody else in the program that, you know, like he has his own higher power and he's going to have to work his own, his own steps and deal with his own grief. And, you know, you can be there for him in whatever capacity, you know, you're able, but otherwise you need to take care of yourself. And so I think that it's hard because I can live my life, you know, in recovery, but then I am faced with some people that aren't necessarily in recovery. And so it's kind of a test of my program to see sort of if I sink and swim with my new tools or if I get caught up in other, you know, family dynamics that don't work as well for me. So Mm. I'm really very grateful to be here and grateful for that reminder. And when I have situations that I have to, you know, reintroduce myself, you know, as who I am now, I can kind of hold, hold on to who I am now and not have to sort of slip back into old habits. So yeah, I I think that's it. Sorry to hear that. Thanks. Sorry to hear your mother. So I had um, a different week than usual. I uh, I was told last Thursday that I needed to be in Santa Cruz this week. So there was a little bit of scrambling to find flights and so on. And so I got up really early Monday morning to make a 545 flight. Ooh. Whoa. Uh, so that I could land in San Francisco at 10 o'clock so I could be to Santa Cruz by lunchtime. So that the guy that I was going to be working with, uh, you know, he, he, apparently he normally works, he normally comes in to work about 3 p.m. their time, but he was going to come in earlier for me, so I didn't have to work his vampire hours. <laughs> so I had loaded up my, uh, my eye device with a bunch of podcasts, including, as it happened, the, the first hour of the Recovered 12-Hour Podcast, mm. um, which, by the way, if you have not uh, checked out our, our sister podcast, Recovered. Mark did a 12-hour podcast, um, which we I think we talked about it last week, but it, in honor of his son who died from this disease almost a year ago and in support of Dawn Farm, which is a local recovery center. And he brought in uh, guests from the recovering community, including um, Kelly and me at different times during the day and also um, a number of other people. And he recorded it in separate hour segments, and he's now posting them up one hour at a time, like I think he's going to do one per week for a while or something, so that people who maybe didn't get the opportunity to listen live or, like me, uh, didn't have the opportunity to listen to the whole thing because I had other things I was had to do that day that I commi- committed to, I, I'll get to hear the stuff that I missed. And, you know, it started out, it, the second hour, which was, was posted while I was out in Santa Cruz, was his open talk. Uh, which I had heard before, but it was it was an interesting experience to hear it again because I heard things that just went right over my head the first time when I attended the talk in person. And I'm sure he said them. And the end of the talk brought me to tears, as the original did. Uh, so I would recommend, really recommend that you go over and check that out. It, it's at recoveredcast.com. Uh, we do have a link on our, on our website, therecoveryshow.com. 
to the podcast Recovered. So you can go look at it over there. So I was out in Santa Cruz. I was going to miss my normal Wednesday night meeting. And, you know, traveling is stressful. And I was with strangers. I was not with recovering people. And so when stuff came up, uh, I, you know, I could make a phone call, and I did make phone calls. Uh, but I also needed to find a meeting. And, you know, the Internet came to my help. Google uh, Al-Anon meetings in Santa Cruz and found a link and, and found a meeting Tuesday night. And I had been afraid that because this guy I was working with was, you know, the vampire hours guy that he, we, we were going to work on into the evening and I wouldn't get to go to any meetings because of that. So it was a little bit of, you know, wreckage of the future happening there. But as it happened, we, we really worked. Uh, and he came in like 10 in the morning instead of his usual 3 in the afternoon. And by the time we got to 5 o'clock, my brain was ready to shut down. And, and his brain was ready to shut down, I think, too. At least as far as talking went, which is what we were doing, talking with a whiteboard. And so I did get go to the meeting. I had a little fun and games uh, actually trying to get there because I had left my keys at the office and had to figure out a way to retrieve them. And this was a new meeting to me. I'd never been there. It was billed as a literature study meeting, which I thought sounded interesting. And, you know, it reminded me of our, our podcast a couple of weeks ago about uh, my first meeting, about, you know, how when you walk into a new meeting, it, it can sometimes feel like it's your first meeting all over. And I walked in and I was like, hmm, okay, tables in a circle with chairs around them. I guess I'll sit down in one of the chairs. I don't really know what's going to happen. And uh, I had just sat down uh, maybe a minute, and a woman came over and, and sat at the table next to me and, and turned to me and said, hi, are you new here? Introduced herself. Her name was Kelly, which felt good. Um, oh, something familiar. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm, I'm visiting from, from out of town. I'm here on business, and uh, so I'm not like a new newcomer, but definitely a newcomer to the meeting. And then I felt I was able to ask her, so tell me how this meeting works. And, and she told me what, how it worked. And, and then, um, so they, they were reading from a piece of Al-Anon literature. They were reading from the book uh, from Survival, Survival to, to Recovery. Recovery. Yeah. And uh, coincidentally, or maybe not, uh, the section they read was about steps four, five, six, and seven. And they, they read it by passing the book around the table and each person reading a paragraph around the tables. It was a circle of tables. And then whoever the book landed on at 7.45, then they got to start sharing, and then sharing proceeded around the circle. So a little more structured than most of the meetings I'm used to, uh, but you know, it was a good reading. It was a really good reading for me, especially with the focus on that, that I've been having in my life recently on Step 6 and 7. And uh, there was good sharing. Um, and so I was glad I was able to find that meeting. And uh, again, you know, if you're in the program and you travel... Do look up meetings because it can it can really really help keep your life on keel. It helps keep my I will say it helps keep my life on keel when I'm out of my usual situation. And uh, and I and I think also that day, yeah, that that night I had talked to my wife before I went to the meeting, and she had told me about she was afraid that our son had was making a decision that that we were not going to agree with, that we were not going to like. But he would not talk to her until I got home. Uh, he mm-hmm. wanted to talk to both of us together, not just one of us. And uh, and of course, then I immediately was like, "Wow, awful, <laughs> awful, 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 <laughs> going to happen here, right?" Um, so it was also it was really good to have a meeting where I could. I actually started out my share saying, "You know, I got a 22 year old son who seems to have to learn everything the hard way, but I'm not here for him. I'm here for me." Mm-hmm. 
and, uh, and, and uh, that felt good. I went to the same Friday night meeting. I don't think I have anything really much to add to what, what Kelly had to say. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was my week. Um, and I'll tell you, those, having those podcasts along was, was good. I could plug in, and I could get recovery in my ears when I, when I didn't have... Because, you know, being in California, I'm three hours off from, from Ann Arbor, so by the time I was feeling the need to call somebody, it was 11 o'clock here or something. Like, yeah, none of the people I call are up that late. I need to find a new set of people who stay up late. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, our topic next week uh, will be progress, not perfection. And, uh, you know, we try to practice that here on the podcast. We welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation as, as Ruth did for this episode. Uh, you can leave us a voicemail or send us an email with your experience or questions about progress, not perfection. Uh, here's some thought questions. Do you struggle with perfection? Have you learned how to be accepting of your achievements, even if they aren't perfect? We'd love to hear from you on this. And Kelly, how can people send us feedback? Well, Spencer, they can call and leave us a voicemail at 734 734- Seven zero seven eight seven nine five. So right now you can just put your podcast on pause and join the conversation at seven three four seven zero seven eight seven nine five. And if you prefer not to use your voice, as some people do, you can also send us an email to feedback at therecoveryshow dot com. And we really do love to hear from you guys. We want to know your experience, strength, and hope. Um, we also want to know if you have questions about today's topic of step six, or if you want to leave us some comments on next week's topic of progress, not perfection. And we also like to get topic suggestions from you guys too. We have a long list going, but we always love to get new ideas too. So if there's a topic you would like to, to discuss, send us an email or voicemail about that too. So Melissa, where can our listeners find out more about the recovery show? Well, on our website, therecoveryshow.com, it has all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, a blog with daily meditations, links to the music we play, and a page um, where we periodically post recordings of Al-Anon Open Talk speakers. We've also got a few links to other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. There are many ways to contribute to the content of the podcast and the website. You can leave comments on the blog. Uh, you can take a look at our suggested topic list. If you see a topic you'd like covered, leave a comment there to vote it up. If you don't see the topic you're interested in, let us know and we'll get right on it. We're always looking for music suggestions and have a page with just a few we've received so far. It's under the topic ideas, which is uh, on the menu at the top of the website. And if you're inspired or ambitious, think about contributing a guest meditation or a meditation prompt. Uh, usually that's a quote or a song lyric. And um, just hop over to therecoveryshow.com and enter the conversation there. Thanks, Melissa. And we did get, we did get some listener feedback. As I mentioned earlier, we had an email from Ruth. And uh, Kelly, can you read that? Or? Sure. Ruth says, I was so excited hearing my email had been read out loud in the, in the last podcast. I'm still surprised at being heard. Someone expressed thankfulness I have for this podcast too. We don't have too many meetings here and I don't, I don't manage to attend several of them. Sponsorship is not very common, but the podcast is always available. Thank you so much. And I wrote in my last email, what I think about anonymity and how it works doesn't concern me so much, but of course it does. The last podcast reminds me of the last reason why I left an Al-Anon group. 
Before the meeting, several people were talking about an Al-Anon friend who hadn't been coming anymore and criticizing him for not working the program correctly. I was so shocked and I couldn't share anything in the meeting. And another friend asked me why I was so quiet. Still struggling not to just burst out, I told them how bad I was feeling about overhearing that conversation, and I was wondering if they would judge me too. Of course, they apologized, and I went two or three more times to that meeting, but when I recognized that it caused pain in my stomach going there, the trust had been destroyed and I couldn't go there anymore. I found another meeting, and I'm very happy there. After the meeting, I often head to the bus with a friend, and as soon as we leave the room, we are just talking about other common topics. If we'd been asked where we know each other from, a friend of a friend is a good idea. Thank you. And that was something we had talked about in the um, anonymity episode. And she also left a comment, it looks like, on our suggestion of using the program at work. So she says, how does the program work at work? This morning, I was waking up and my thoughts immediately went to all my worries from the past day. My anger in regard to my colleagues rises, and I was full of fear on how to survive the day. I had three burnout depressions already. Now I have the Al-Anon tools, which help a lot. So I reminded myself to replace those dark thoughts with good thoughts and use slogans. One of my favorite slogans is, I can't, but my higher power can. Before I hit the pillow in the evening, I read Courage to Change, the Courage to Change text for the next day, and made it my task to recollect it first when I wake up. And today on my way to work, I listened to your podcast and my fear was gone. Especially on the way to work, I'm grateful every day for the Al-Anon program. Thanks for letting me share, Ruth. And thank you so much, Ruth. We appreciate you writing in. Okay, and we have um, a voicemail from Cecily here. Um, She is also responding to our anonymity episode. Hey, this is Cecily. I love your podcast on anonymity but I just have to point out that you guys have unique names and voices and so it's pretty much all over you've blown your own anonymity (laughs) which I think is great I'm really proud of you you guys are really brave and I appreciate your podcast very much because um, in my area the Al-Anon meetings are limited so I don't get a chance to go to them and Anyway, I really love your podcast, and I appreciate everything that you've talked about with anonymity, but pretty much Spencer, Swaytha, and Kelly, I know who you guys are. <laughs> so great. And thanks again. Bye. And thank you, Cecily. As I was listening to what you had to say, I realized um, something that I, had actually occurred to me um, quite some years ago. I was working with this AWOL group, and so you know, I got to know these seven other people really really deeply, but not shallowly in most cases. Most of the people in the group, I had no idea where they lived. I didn't really know what they did in their life. I probably didn't know their last name. And, and, and so it's a very different sort of knowing um, that, that it, it ignores all of the things that we normally know about another person and really gets to just who we are and not what we are or what we do. You know, we talked a little bit on the podcast about being responsible for breaking our own anonymity. And, you know, I think like you said, it's, it's, it was a conscious choice that we made 
and something that we knew, you know, could have an impact yeah. <laughs> on that topic. But, you know, I, f- I feel the greater good is worth it. So, and we're glad that you know us, Cecily. All right. We got some iTunes reviews. I want to thank people for, for um, putting up reviews on iTunes because um, as, as we get more reviews and ratings on iTunes, it's easier for people to find us. We'll show up you know, nearer to the front of the list when people are searching for recovery or Al-Anon or something like that. So Patricia wrote, titled, The Recovery Show is My Anchor. And I, and I saw that title. I was like, oh, wow. <sighs> I feel amazed. She says, the Recovery Show app is amazing. It is like having a meeting on my phone whenever I need it. I absolutely love the titles because then I can go to a specific podcast to get what I really need. This past week has been horrific, and thanks to the Recovery Show, I was able to hold on to my serenity in between meetings as well as in between calls to my sponsor. I hope and pray that the show continues. Well, I will say we definitely intend to continue because it is a huge part of our recovery as well. The title of this one, uh, this review, says, Lots of Comfort Through Recovery. It says, Thank you for doing this podcast. It's helped me so much as I am in and out of the car all day for work. It reminds me that I am not alone anymore, and I am connected. Thanks. And we had one more. Okay. This one's titled, Love the Show. Thank you so much for your podcast. It's such a great resource to have. I was having a tough time today with some anxiety about making a decision, so I decided to listen to the Forcing Solutions podcast. It was very helpful. I felt like I had to make a decision right away and didn't feel like I had the right information to make it. I felt like once I realized that I was trying to force a solution that I was afraid of making, the anxiety started fading. I also love the music breaks that you've included in the podcast. Keep up the good work. And, and thank you. It, it helps us know that we're doing the right thing. And, and also, if you, you know, it, maybe there's some things that you'd like us to change, please tell us, uh, because we want to we make this uh, podcast the best that it can be. I also wanted to, to um, back up a sec that the voicemail from Cecily, she left it from the website. We actually have a, a button you can click on the website and leave a voicemail right from your computer uh, without having to make a phone call. So if you're overseas, you don't want to make a long-distance call to uh, the United States, but you do want to leave your voice with us, there's a way for you to do it there. Also, um, you know, it doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses, and they run about $30 a month. You can help support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation basket button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Ruth did. And we've also put together a list of recovery-related books. If you click on the books link at the top of uh, the webpage, and uh, if you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we receive a, a small commission from Amazon. Part of um, your purchase price comes to us, which is really cool. And, and in fact, you can actually order anything from Amazon using the search box at the bottom of that books page. And it doesn't cost you anything extra, and it helps to keep us on the air. So we thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, including by just listening. We are here for you. Kelly, you want to introduce our closing music? Sure. We're going to close with a song called Change by Churchill. Two of us had actually heard this song within a couple of days of each other. And uh, I mean, I think the title kind of says it all. Step six is about becoming ready to change. And it was just a great catchy tune. So enjoy. To make you want me, I can fabricate the truth. I'll give you easy to keep me destitute. You hang me up on the line, hang me out to dry.
for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time. You take no chances and you can't